0: Chapters eleven and twelve of the Life and Doctrine of Saint Catherine of Genoa. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulet. The Life and Doctrine of Saint Catherine of Genoa. Chapters eleven and twelve. Chapter eleven. Illuminated by a clear ray from the true light, which shone into this holy soul, she spoke admirable things concerning purity of conscience, saying, Purity of conscience can endure nothing but God alone, for he alone is spotless, simple, pure. Of all things else, that is, of what is evil, it cannot endure even the smallest spark. This can neither be understood nor appreciated, if it be not felt." Hence she had ever in her mouth, as a habit, the word purity. She had also a cleanliness and purity almost admirable in her speech. She wished that every conception and emotion of the mind should issue too from it, undefiled and pure, without the least complexity. Thus it was impossible for her to feign a sympathy she did not feel, or to condole with others out of friendship, except so far as she really corresponded with them in her heart. The continual humility, contempt, and hatred of self, in this soul, were at this time most remarkable. When, by the divine permission, she suffered such mental distress, that she could scarcely open her mouth, she would then say, O oh, love, let me remain thus, that I may be submissive, for otherwise it would be impossible that I should not do something wrong. Oh, how good and admirable is the knowledge of a soul, which, being all protected, united, and transformed in God, her felicity, sees clearly on one side, her own inclination to all that is evil, and on the other, how she is restrained by God, that she may not commit actual sin. One thing is certain, namely, that never is the soul so perfect that it does not need the continual help of God, even though it be transformed in him. It is true, that the nature of the sweet God is such, that he never allows these souls to fall, although the soul, left to herself, could fall if she were not thus restrained. But he only preserves those who never with their free will consent unto sin, and allows those to fall who do voluntarily yield assent thereto. For truly, having given us free will, he will not force it. Consequently, those who fall into sin do so by their own fault, and not by that of God, who is ever ready to aid the soul even after her fall, if she will allow herself to be aided, and will correspond to the divine grace which never ceases to call her, saying, Turn from evil and do good, and be converted to me with your whole heart. And therefore she said, If the soul, fallen into what sin soever, corresponds to the grace of God and abhors her past sins, with a resolution and a will to sin no more, he immediately frees her from her guilt, and holds her so that she may not fall, nor through her own malice be separated from him. That is, from the observance of his commandments which are his will, to sin voluntarily, is to be separated from God. And not only is he ready, on his own part, to do all this, but I see clearly with the interior eye, that the sweet God loves with a pure love the creature that he has created, and has a hatred for nothing but sin, which is more opposed to him than can be thought or imagined. I say, God loves his creature with a perfection that cannot be understood, nor could it be even by an angelic intellect, which would fail to comprehend even its slightest spark and if god wished to make a soul understand it would be necessary to give her an immortal body since by nature it could never endure the knowledge for it is impossible that god and sin however slight should remain together for such an impediment would prevent the soul from attaining to his glory and as a little thing that thou hast in thine eye will not allow thee to see the sun. And as it is possible to compare the difference between God and the sun to that between the intellectual vision and that of the bodily eye, it is plain that the great opposition between the one and the other can never be truly imagined. Wherefore, it is necessary that the soul which desires to be preserved from sin in this life, and to glorify God in the other, should be spotless, pure and simple, and not voluntarily retain a single thing which is not purged by contrition, confession, and satisfaction, because all our works are imperfect and defective. Whence, if I consider and observe clearly, with the interior eye, I see that I ought to live entirely detached from self. Love has wished me to understand this, and in a manner I do understand it, so that I could not possibly be deceived. And for my part, I have so abandoned myself, that I cannot regard it only as a demon, or worse, if I may say so. After God has given a soul the light, in which she perceives the truth, that she cannot even will, and much less work, apart from him, without always soiling and making turbulent the clear waters of his grace, then she sacrifices all to him, and he takes possession of his creature, and both inwardly and outwardly occupies her with himself so that she can do nothing but as her sweet love wills. Then the soul, by reason of its union with God, contradicts him in nothing, nor does aught but what is pure, upright, gentle, sweet, and delightful, because God allows nothing to molest it. And these are the works which please the Lord our God. Chapter 12 I see that the sweet God is so solicitous for the welfare of the soul, that no human being could have a like anxiety to gain the whole world, even if he were certain to obtain it by his own efforts. When behold the love he displays in providing us with all possible aids to lead us into heaven, I am, as it were, forced to say that this sweet master appears as if he were our servant. If man could see the care which God takes of a soul, nothing more would be necessary to amaze and confound him than to consider that this glorious God, in whom all things have their being, should have so great a providence over his creatures. Yet we, to whom it is a matter either of salvation or damnation, hold it in light esteem. But alas, how can this be so? If we esteem not that which God esteems, what else should we esteem? O wretched man, where dost thou lose thyself? what dost thou with that time so precious of which thou hast such need what with those goods with which thou shouldst buy paradise what with thy body which was given thee to work for and to serve thy soul what with thy soul whose end it is to be united to god by love all these thou hast turned towards earth which produces a seed whose fruits thou wilt eat with demons in hell with infinite despair because, having lost that glory for which thou wert created, and to which so many inspirations called thee, thou wilt then see that thou hast failed to secure it through thine own fault alone. Know for certain that if men understood how terrible is even one solitary sin, they would rather be cast into a heated furnace, and there remain, living both in soul and body, than to support such a sight, and if the sea were all fire, they would cast themselves therein, and never leave it, if they were certain of meeting the sin on doing so. To many this will appear a strange saying, but to the saint these things have been shown as in truth they were, and such a comparison seemed to her but a trifling one. She added, It has happened to me to behold something almost too shameful to relate, and this is that man seems to live quite merrily in sin. It astonishes me that a thing so terrible should receive so little consideration. She said again, When I see and contemplate what God is, and what our own misery is, and behold the many ways by which he seeks to exalt us, I am transported beyond myself with astonishment. On the part of man, I see such a perversity and rebellion against God, that it seems impossible to bend his will except by the lure of things, greater than those he enjoys here in this life. This is because the soul loves visible things, and will not renounce one but with the hope of four. And even with this hope, she will still seek to escape, if God did not retain her by his exterior and interior graces, without which man, whose instincts are naturally corrupt, could not be saved. For we are naturally corrupt, could not be saved. For we are naturally prone to add actual to original sin, and to continually tend toward earth for our satisfactions. And as Adam opposed his own will to the divine will, so we must seek to have the will of God as our only object, and by it to have our own disposed and annihilated. And as we cannot by ourselves discover our own evil inclinations, and our secret self-love, nor possibly annihilate our own self-will, it is very useful to subject our will to that of some other creature, and to do its bidding for the love of God. And the more we so subject ourselves for that divine love, so much the more shall we emancipate ourselves from the evil plague of our self-will, which is so subtle and hidden within us, and works in so many ways, and defends itself by so many pleas that it is like the very demon. What it cannot effect in one way, it does in another, and this under many disguises. Now it is known as charity, now as necessity, justice, perfection, or suffering for God, or seeking for spiritual consolation, or for health, or as a good example to others, or a condescension to those who seek our advantage. It is an abyss, so deep and dangerous, that no one but God can save us from it. And as he sees this more clearly than we, he has great compassion for us, and never ceases to send us good inspirations and to seek to liberate us, not by forcing our free will, but rather by disposing us in so many loving ways, that the soul, when she comes to understand the great care which God has taken of her, is forced to exclaim, O my God, it appears to me that thou hast nothing else to think of but my salvation. What am I that thou shouldst so care for me? Thou art God who thus carest for me, and I am nothing but myself. Can it be possible that I should not esteem what thou esteemest? That I should not remain ever obedient to thy commandments? and attentive to all the gracious inspirations thou sendest me by so many ways? End of chapters 11 and 12